Welcome to Challenging the Status Quo podcast season two, brought to you by Digital Savages with your host, Amir Sabirovich. On the previous episode of Challenging the Status Quo, our guest and challenger was Tibor Olgers, speaker, writer, and coach for businesses at tibor.nl, coaching and consultancy. And here's a short part of our conversation. Well, other other people that are walk, walking on their path. So books, of course, is the is the standard answer. But other people that are walking on their path that are that are that that's so inspiring because so little people are doing that. And so we all get are born with two paths: our own path and the path of expectations of other people. Tibor believes the goal of life is pretty simple a good life while enjoying everything you do. It is simple, but it's also tough to make things simple. Being on your path is a life full of hardship. If you would like to hear how Tibor can get you on that path, go one episode back and listen to how he combines lessons of successful startups, special forces principles, and stoicism. I hope you got inspired by Tibor's story, so let's tune in to the life journey of our next guest. Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of Challenging the Status Quo. Today, our challenger and guest is Aron Imink. He is entrepreneur, entrepreneur, writer, author, and public speaker. He has a lot of other functions, but he's going to tell us about that. So, Ron, welcome. Thank you, Amir. Pleasure to be here. Ron, it's great to have you on the show. And probably you expect, and you just said, what are you going to ask me? So, can you tell us what your background is and how you got where you are right now? Okay. It's a bit of a long story because I've been around for a while. Um, I did small business in Harlem which was the first of a third level education to actually train and educate people to become entrepreneurs. And we were the, the first or second of that uh, type of education. Then I started my own business. Yeah, actually, during that, during that degree, I actually started my first business selling books, business, business books and education books to sidestep the cartel because in, in Holland there was a cartel around uh, uh, books which only you could sell, uh, buy in uh, certain uh, retail and not outside of the retail. So we tried to break that by importing books from the United States. Then after uh, I finished small business, I started my own uh, management and marketing consultancy. Failed miserably, which just shows you that education is something you take too serious. I got uh, lucky and I got uh, asked to become involved in a project in uh, in Harlem where five uh, partners set up a company and what we were specializing in, it was helping long-term unemployed to create their own work by setting up their business. And we did that in Harlem, we did it in Heerengewaard, we did it in Alkmaar, and I think we did that in uh, Amsterdam. And it was all funded by the European Social Fund. And the business model was, if you would get somebody to start their own business, they would leave social welfare and we would get a premium. So, so uh, all our fixed costs were paid for. And every time we uh, actually uh, started a company, we would get the premium. We did that for about five years. And the nice thing about European funding, there's always an exchange program. So I ended up in Ireland. And that's where I learned to drink Guinness in yeah. uh, the international bar in, uh, in Dublin. And we have an exchange program with what uh, it's called the Northside Partnership. It's a public-private entity that focuses on local economic development in a very deprived area on the north side of uh, Dublin. And what artists are really good at is they are incredibly hospitable. So we had about a meeting for an hour and then we went to the pub 
in Dublin and uh, on Thursday night in Bad Bob's backstage bar, I fell in love, like boom. Uh, I mean, completely head over heels and started traveling back and forth every two weeks. And after about half a year, my business partner said, listen, Ron, you're just not compass mentors anymore. You're on the phone. I was, I was completely off the reservation. I was on the phone with her for hours every day. I had to fly back and forth every two weeks because I couldn't be without her. So uh, in November 22, on my birthday, I stepped in my car and drove over to Ireland and set up a business over there. And what I did was in, in Ireland, uh, things were still, particularly around enterprise supports and startups, it was all relatively primitive. So I took the, do you remember the, the Chamber of Commerce business plan format? I took that, translated that really badly in English, gave it a little bit of my sauce, and I went to the Irish government and said, listen, in Holland, we have this standard in business planning. It's crazy for you guys not to do something similar. And they went, you know what? That's a good idea. And they pre-ordered, I think they pre-ordered 10,000 copies, which gave me the opportunity to go to a printer. And I became an author. And the minute you become an author, your life changes because everybody takes you more seriously because you're regarded as an expert. And what then happened, uh, I got asked to write several books on business planning, always a repetition on the same theme, but, uh, and eventually the Irish government through European funding asked us to, to write a standard in business planning and which I did together with my colleague, Brian O'Kay. And at that stage, I think I'd written about 10 books and the publishing house eventually bought over my company and I become part of publishing, which is what I always wanted to do. And then I realized that publishing in those days, it was still paper publishing, which is basically a mugs game because you, uh, you print a lot of paper and in, in Ireland particularly, and we, and we brought a really big publisher in a tiny small market. So you have to imagine a tiny bowl, big shark flapping on top of it. So really, really hard. And the retail would order 10,000 copies. That's a bestseller. But then what would happen after six months, 9,000 will be returned. And that, if that happens, you become, you have to start having very expensive paper in your warehouse. And if that happens too often, and we were just on the cusp of digital and traditional uh, publishing, it can actually drag down the company. And I uh, decided that this is, was never going to make me the millionaire that I, I want, wanted to be. So I, I was asked by the university to manage that innovation center. So I got my first and last permanent pensionable job. And for four years, I managed the innovation center in Dublin City University, which was this uh, combination of tech transfer, startups, high potential based on IP that was developed within the, the university and bringing small companies into campus and get them to engage with the researchers and develop all kinds of really cool stuff in sensor technology. We were in fusion. We were doing sensor fusion, ICT, really, really, really cool stuff. I did that for four years and then I realized that uh, the pace of academics is just not my pace because they're lovely incredibly interesting but uh, everything is just at snail's pace and when you're an entrepreneur and you see all that excitement 
and nothing really ever happens. Uh, you just uh, have to leave. So I set up another company called BookBuzz, which was a company that actually took... So books have always been my passion. I've been writing books and uh, I've been reading books for since I was four and writing since I was about uh, 30. So it's always been part of my, my life. And BookBuzz was a concept where we would go into large companies and they would have particularly complex problems. We would pick a book that was specific to that problem and we would give an executive team a copy of that book and would ask them to read 40 pages of that book. And then we use that book as a platform to discuss the problem, which is really interesting because suddenly it, it puts the problem in a completely different context. So rather than saying Amir is a dick, we can say in the context of this book around strategy and ICT and uh, AI, Amir is a dick. And that makes the, con the conversation a lot uh, easier. And we, and we used that for about two years. And then in 2008, the Irish economy exploded. And uh, so that's because we were actually on a, on a growth curve. So we that stopped, that plateaued. I got lucky again. I got asked by uh, one of the largest banks in Ireland to set up an entrepreneur's platform because, because of the crisis, a lot of SMEs were getting into trouble. And we built this community of about 25,000 entrepreneurs that would help each other online. And the, the cunning plan underneath, it was, it was called Small Business Can, which was a, a reference to Can Do, the Obama Can Do, is actually to build that into a Small Business Can bank a peer-to-peer -peer lending bank where SMEs would lend to each other. That never happened. And in 2017, I decided I had enough and I moved to Spain. And since then, I've been writing books about books and I do a number of consultancy assignments. I work with uh, Tibor on helping startups. I work with a number of large companies on some entrepreneurship uh, programs, and that's what I do now. Well, you definitely exchange the weather, right? Well, you know what? At the, you can't see it at the moment. It's incredibly unfair because I love to slag everybody in Ireland and Holland when the weather over there is shit. But at the moment, your weather is better in Holland than it is here. Oh, okay. That's. Uh, but it has been quite a journey, and it wasn't really planned, was it? None of it was planned. But then, which is brings you to uh, to books. Uh, have you ever heard of a book called The Celestine Prophecy? No. So, uh, and it's a book around that life is a number of crossroads that you need to recognize and that you should and then the, the rule uh, as you uh, as you are on those crossroads that you should always follow your heart and that will bring you to a path where you will eventually bring you where you need to, uh, to be so that's what i've always done follow the heart so as a result i've ended up in fantastic places so i've lived in ireland for 25 years i last year we spent a year in holland just before corona hit we actually thank god left for uh, for spain and now i'm in spain and it's awesome giving this trajectory that you took what is your definition of success when you look in the rearview mirror okay so it's not money next year was never uh money and, and you, you get into those platitudes which it, it really is about waking up every day enjoying what you're doing i think a little bit of sunshine is also part of success but that's uh, but uh, i think being able to do what you really really love and then realize that actually it's not how much you have it is actually how much you need because I, i keep on having this conversation with my friend because they they, they said to you 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 went to To Spain, you must be fucking loaded. No, in Spain, if you're happy with just a small glass of wine and some bread and some fish, and the cost of living here are, are, are much lower than in, in Holland, you can actually have a very, very good quality lifestyle. 
but you just need to realize that uh, you need to realize when it, when enough is enough. And I think enough enough is not in the money. Enough is a roof over your head, some food, some good friends, sport, meditation, exercise, uh, reading, and enjoying what you're doing. So it's actually distancing yourself from the societal greed. Completely. And then if you if you would really the exercise I do with some of my if you would really calculate what you really need, you'd be surprised at what's possible. Now, then there are all kinds of other rules or rules. Uh, there's a book called The Code of the Extraordinary Mind. See, we're all in this straitjacket that tells you that you're supposed to do what you're supposed to do because there's societal rules. If you're uh, if you if you're strong enough to break them, everything is anything is possible. I I agree with you totally, and I live by the motto. You know, uh, it's a not uh, the poor man that doesn't have money. The poor man is the one that desires too much. Yeah, completely, and actually very little. Well, I I genuinely do think sunshine makes an incredible difference, but uh, ultimately there's just not much that you need. You really don't. So it's uh, seeing what you need and then uh, being happy about it and enjoying life to the fullest. Correct. But I then I do I do think that meditation helps. I uh, I do think that exercise, healthy mind, healthy body, all those things help. And is there something you wished you knew at the start of your career? So if you could go back and advise the young Ron that's uh, that went to Ireland. Yeah. So when I, the business that I, that failed in Holland, the first consultancy, I was worried sick. And when the publishing house was going under, because we were, uh, were, were carrying massive debt in our balance sheet because of the not selling the, the books that we, uh, that we wanted. Because, uh, you know, when you're uh, worried about money and you have this sick feeling in your stomach, not to worry too much because in the end, everything always works out. And, and actually, there's a lot more stuff going on in your head that you're worried about. And the reality is always much less uh, worse. So actually, you were overthinking. Yes. Yes. And that caused the, the worry to, to grow bigger. Well, I mean, okay, it's, see, there used to be a, a time in my life that I, uh, when we were here in, uh, in Spain, I would bring my card to the bank and pray that money would come out of it. And sometimes uh, it wouldn't. And then you had to go back to your wife and say, listen, love, uh, they haven't paid yet. So that does, uh, that does make you uh, feel uh, unhappy. So I understand. So there's a, there's a level. But in the end, it always works out. In, uh, what do you do to challenge the status quo? Ooh, what do I do? Okay. So I think entrepreneurship is about predicting the future. And when I work... so. And if you look then at what's coming down the track from a technology perspective, from a climate perspective, there's lots and lots of uh, things happening. And I find that loads of entrepreneurs are incredibly poor informed about what's coming down the track. And one of the things they don't do is read, watch the trends and uh, keep up to date, even in their own uh, industry. So uh, what I try to do always is give them a dashboard of stuff give them sort of a perspective on the future trends, which they don't have, and try to project themselves into a future that they haven't even considered. Everybody thinks that the future is linear, and we both know that it uh, isn't. So they are blissfully unaware of the impact of artificial intelligence. They're blissfully unaware on the impact of climate change, because if you think corona is bad, corona is a dress rehearsal for what's coming down the track in the next 10, 15 years in climate. Uh, And as entrepreneurs... We need to be prepared. And I, I also think that entrepreneurs, because I don't think you can depend on government 
to deliver the solutions because they also don't understand technology, climate, exponential, that the only the only change agents that will actually make an impact are entrepreneurs. So I like I, I tried that so I try to change entrepreneurs' perspective on what is coming. And then, and then everybody's negative. It is also incredibly exciting. What is also what is possible? Because any business currently will need to be reinvented within the next five to ten years. Definitely, I the, I get your clerk cross the lines of being misinformed or actually not taking time to digest all the information that is no, there. So if, because I, I ask I ask entrepreneurs the information that they actually consume every day, and it's at the level of eating McDonald's every day. <laughs> So in the, what they feed their, their mind is really poor food. And if you increase the quality of your food mentally, it, it improves the quality of your decision making and it improves the quality of your company and it improves your future. Those things are just in, inevitable. But if you then ask them, so give me your information dashboard, the quality, it's Facebook, it's Instagram, it is this new thing, uh, Clubhouse. Uh, maybe LinkedIn, but that more, but uh, like Harvard Business Review, The Economist, uh, the Singularity University. I mean, real top quality information is never part of their diets. Now, if you start reading MIT, Harvard, Stanford, Wired, Singularity University, Wired, TechCrunch, if you do that for a for a month, your perspective has fundamentally changed. And I, w- and I would always argue f- in a good way. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And I think I believe that a few days ago I posted, we do live in the era of big data, but not big information. There is not much available for this entrepreneur that would give it to them in digested pieces. This is how your company is going to be impacted by. And this is how your business models. Yeah, but I think there's a laziness as well, because I used to... Because we used sometimes when we with book books, I had to read all those books, and sometimes I would try a shortcut, and I would write, uh, I would read the executive book summaries. It's like, what's the way to describe it? A book. It's like wine. You can literally taste the book, and uh, when you read the full book, you get a completely different context, and you get a much richer uh, understanding of the of the, the information that's being uh, supplied to you. The and a summary is nearly soulless. It, it, it's impossible. To put that in the same context, if you if you write the book, the problem with the book is that will always take you four to eight hours to, to do it. Now, you can sit on Facebook or you can watch Netflix or you can read a good book. Now, I think a good book is a much better time spent. Yeah, but, uh, well, uh, you're right on that. I think the, the on-demand economy requires that, right? So when you see these business models, as everything has to be fast, fast consumed, yes. and it doesn't matter. It's fast food, informational fast food. Um, so there is um, there is no really taking time to digest something. Uh, I actually um, I actually had a, a situation where somebody asked me like, uh, I want to start up an AI uh, company. Okay, which problem are you going to solve? Yeah, 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 well, yeah. tell me which problem should I solve? No, you should do some research. I said, well, I don't have time for that. <laughs> so yeah. I want to set up a company. I have people, but I would like to uh, to do it tomorrow. Well, there is a, there's a book called The Shallows. And that uh, that explains the impact of uh, computers and social media on your brain, and it literally is for something to so it, the brain the way the brain works is it needs to be in your front lobe for about ten seconds, then you need to reflect on it, and then it sort of percolates down into your brain and it becomes uh, wisdom. What is happening because we are constantly distracted, 
nothing stays longer than 10 seconds. So we're creating, so it never gets reflected on, let alone get percolated down to, into wisdom. So we're creating pancake people who are really, really broad. But once you go through the pancake, there's absolutely nothing underneath it. And that's what social media and that's what this on-demand economy is uh, is doing. And I think we're going to pay a price. So you're concerned about the future? Well, I'm an optimist, but I, I, sometimes when I talk to uh, Liana, my, uh, my partner, about uh, the future, I actually, one of the reasons I moved to Spain is that I think we have about 10, 15 years of normality and maybe the opportunity to uh, enjoy life. And after that, it's going to be an enormous fuck fest. I think pensions will collapse. Actually, I mean, you can uh, you can see that the economy is going to collapse under the weight of climate change. The water is going to rise. I think it's going to be horrific. I think food supplies, water supplies, all those things will have to be completely re-examined. So I am I am I'm an optimist, but at the moment I'm. It, it depends on the day as well. But uh, but I, I at the moment I'm I'm uh, slightly pessimistic. But then I, I I also believe that technology can change quite a lot. Yeah, if we use it for the benefit of the people. If we use it for we had this conversation before we. Uh, If you look at low code and the abstraction of technology and the ability for us, all of us to play with genetic genetics, biology, AI, if it's used wisely by all of us collectively, something phenomenal will happen. But if it is this divide and conquer winner takes all type of approach, we're onto a hiding to nothing. No, we need we need to have the know your neighbor uh, society again. Yes. Uh, I think uh, there is a dancing. Thank you for being late. And it literally describes that actually the most important thing that we all need to worry about is not technology, but it's community development. If you have a lone wolf that can play with viruses and genetics and basically create a killer virus in his kitchen sink, then you really want everybody to feel part of a community. Yeah. And we actually, the the technology contributed to the fact that we have a very individualistic society growing continuously. Yes. And then China and Hong Kong and Singapore are actually interesting models. You, you can have an opinion about it, but they have a completely different perspective on community than we do. And I think we might have gone too far towards the individualistic uh, approach. And there's always, you see, with uh, what is the with power comes responsibility. I think we've forgotten the responsibility bit. Actually, nearly as a by the by, when I hear, so I'm from Spain. I'm looking at Holland. I follow the news, and then on 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 a Thursday, already code red is a, is announced for the snow that might be coming on the Saturday. And already everything is closed down. And then uh, when it gets a little bit, uh, so yes, the snow did arrive. I don't think it was as bad as everybody thought it was. And then on a Monday, another code red was uh, announced because it was going to get icy and the schools closed down. You see, I think those are indications of uh, complete lack of resilience and self-determination and responsibility. And I, I think you, we all need to be really worried about that. Yes, yeah, so, so <laughs> they're making society incapable of coping with any kind of stress. No, no, but the coping and the, but the coping of the stress is then also uh, left outside of the individual and left with, uh, with a government or somebody else. So, uh, you know, in the old days, we just need to... So when my dad, when I was snowing, he would take it at his shuffle and he would clean up his little street. And before the house, if we all do that, 
there wouldn't be a problem. Yeah. So if if we take care of our front yards, uh, everybody would do that. Yeah. Oh, I get your point. You you touched based on your biggest failure, as you would say it. But but what is your biggest failure? Was that the grand one, the consultancy, or is there another grand learning moment in your life? My biggest failure. I see. Even even the even the consultancy that was terrible uh, when it happened. Actually, um, from a business perspective, I take a fairly sanguine approach to uh, failure. So I, I've never thought about it as my biggest. I made a few mistakes, but uh, there are also uh, learning moments. I, I would, uh, if there were there were failures, it would be probably more in my uh, personal life. I probably would have liked to be a better dad, on hindsight. So uh, if you talk about uh, focus and quality of life, when I was really really busy in Ireland chasing. Uh, money i should have spent that some of that time with my children and i have two ellison uh, and luca so if, if there's any failure it would be probably a failure of parenting is that uh, because i've been thinking about this um quite lately about the false dream of entrepreneurship yes why i say false dream of entrepreneurship when i was growing up i wanted to be a, a apache pilot but i have bad bad eyes you can see yeah, it but yeah. i have glasses so my dream went shutter so yeah when i was growing up you, the dream of most ch- kids was being an actor or a pilot right so i want to be a priest for a while so uh <laughs> that's an interesting <laughs> one <laughs> that's an interesting one uh, we're going to elaborate on that one from priest to entrepreneur that's, that's a hell of a title for a book uh, <laughs> yes actually it is yes good one thank you yeah. <laughs> you're welcome so the the the, the fa- uh, false promise of entrepreneurship is actually you're going to pee your blood for the upcoming 10 years you're going to sacrifice your family your friends your whatever for your oh, dream yeah. of yes. establishing maybe you fail maybe you don't when you fail in any kind of business or whatever your family is always there to catch you right to 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 help you or soften the fall yeah but it's a funny thing that if you are a diehard entrepreneur and you're working 80 100 120 hours <clears throat> that you neglect that what is deemed to be the most important thing in life. So a friend of mine, and actually there's a, there's a few things. So the uh, one of the books that we published, there's a guy called Yankee Fahr who wrote a book called Ghuspa. And then he wrote a book called My Family Doesn't Support Me. And it's the myth of family support because you've been working in a bank for the last 10 years. You're doing really, really well. And uh, one day you come home and you tell uh, your partner, listen, love, I've seen the light. I am going to start my own business. What's the most likely response that your partner will give you? No. You can go fuck off because we have a mortgage to pay. Uh, there's absolutely no way we're going down the road of starting your own uh, uh, business. And the other thing is a friend of mine went the whole, he went from uh, starting his company to fundraising, to scaling, to building a global company and then selling it. And he... Uh, we were in the taxi and we, we were, were out for the, for the night and in the taxi he said, you know what, on hindsight, it cost me my health because he literally was starting to uh, walk with, a, with, a, with a, his, his back was completely because of the stress. He had issues with his kids. He had issues in his relationship. Now, he was very wealthy, but he said the price is way too high. And what actually irks me enormously, there is this constant myth of entrepreneurship. We're not all Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg, and 99% of the, that, that's the exception to the exception to the exception to the exception to the exception of the, the rule. Most entrepreneurs 
fail. 70% fail within five years, and only 10% are still alive after 10 years. So the price you're paying for starting your own business is very, very high. And then the, the other thing is entrepreneurship. And my friend Bernd and I, when we work with Tibor, we always explain to people that entrepreneurship, particularly in startup phase, is all about focus and routine, which means for about six hours a day, you do exactly the same thing consistently. And if you do that for 100 days, maybe you get uh, somewhere. But this, this idea that it is an excitement and it's all cool, rubbish, absolute rubbish. So, yes, peeing blood, and then after peeing blood for 10 years, actually uh, ending up in the hospital. This ties actually to your way of living or what is enough for me, for me to enjoy life and right. to have a quality yes. of life. And that false prophecy of entrepreneurship and driving whatever car you deem that um, some rich person is driving of, or having a house that is, you know, um, enough for 500 people while you live in Correct. three, three, three Correct. people. And there. You only need a few square meters, if you're really honest. There's only, there's only one chair you can occupy at any given moment. Yeah. So, so, but I would say that this is also something that... Um, the world has shown, so it's, it's glamorized, right? Completely. It's always showed they're not sharing the bad stories. And this is what I'm missing always. I want to hear about that 70% that fail, because those are the people that went in the same trajectory that others did, but still they failed. How, why, when, what? Oh yeah. And, and I think there's, and, and then that 70%, there's a randomness to it as well. I think, I think being lucky is yeah, lucky, of, uh, luck is important, I, you know. Where you underestimated within uh, entrepreneurship, people that consistently have a piano falling on their head should never start a business. <laughs> no. Unlucky people should just not, uh, be, you need to have a little bit of luck sometimes uh, as well, because otherwise you're just not going to make it. Yeah, I think you, you have to be in the places where the luck can find you. So you have to be out there and you have to chase it continuously. But you know, they've done a lot of surveys of the, the, the people that actually made it. But then in a lot of cases, they think they found the formula. The second business that they start after they made a lot of money invariably fails. So the randomness to entrepreneurship is uh, is considerable. Yeah, so it's it's a false prophecy and you should be aware of the price you have to pay. Correct, completely, yes. And um, in your in your journeys uh what sources do you need use for your help what what do you do you do it all on your own or are you getting supported no i have so so, so i read a lot and i have a rolodex of people that anytime i need something i would know somebody that i can talk to or they would know somebody who knows somebody that I can talk to, or they would know somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody that uh, you can talk to. And that's something I particularly learned in, in, in Ireland, because the way the Irish network is just phenomenal. They have a diaspora that they, uh, that, that they actually use as, a, as an instrument. And it literally is in Ireland. Uh, we, we were in uh, Kyrgyzstan, and uh, we were walking down the road, myself and an Irish uh, friend, and uh, on the other side of the road was another European. And the Irish guy literally went, and you saw the other person on the other side going ding, and they literally crossed the road, shook hands, and eyes do they immediately tick off who they have, uh, who they know, and they always find somebody collected because it's a small country. And what you then do is you agree to meet up in an Irish bar 
and there's always an Irish bar somewhere in a, in, a, in a city. That's the way the Irish work. And I said to Frank, listen, I will now show you how the Dutch work. Because in that hotel was a Dutch guy because he had reading a Dutch newspaper. So I tapped the guy on the paper and I said, you're Dutch. And he went, yes. And he put the paper back up. They have a completely different approach to but networking. So I have, a, I have a vast network that I can use if I've ever need anything, which I think the other thing is, which is networking and friendship. And then friendship is something that's very long. So you need to maintain your friends. So if you want to use your network, you need to. So people, I still, most people that are working for the last 25 years, I still know and I maintain contact and that always pays off. Yeah. So it's, it's building relationships and then it doesn't matter what you do Correct. at a certain point. If there is something that you could do for each other, you'll reach out. And you will have give and, give and get back. Yeah. Yes. And you will have that paying it forward, also helping somebody that is in need continuously without uh, unselfishly. And 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 genuinely, it always pays off. Yeah. It's it's a universal law. I I I, I get work from people that I worked or I helped 20 years ago, and so and and always it's one or two phone calls, an introduction. And, uh, but it always, always, always pays back. Those are relationships based on trust and emotional connection. Yeah. And then people will always know to find you. Yeah. And I think passion then also uh, helps being genuine, helps being sincere. Yeah. And, sorry. And the other word I was looking for is an authentic. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but that's actually being real, right? Yeah. Like, exactly. um, yeah. although I, I have to quote, um, Steve Palichkin uh, on this. I believe that we're still, uh, we're living in a single serving friend society. Mm. Okay, explain that. Well, you know, um, this comes straight from the from the movie Fight Club. But uh, at a certain point, you're sitting in somebody uh, on the plane, and everything on the plane in a hotel says single serving, silver serving shampoo, silver serving soap, yes, single serving uh, sugar. Uh, everything is single serving, and the person sitting next to you is at that point a single serving friend because after the flight you're probably never going to meet them again yes probably when you look at the society uh, the society individualistic society doesn't think about what can i do for somebody else it's what somebody else can do for me and after that they're gone so how can i benefit from somebody and after that i can dispose them so single serving friends yes it's it's likes and and clicks yes likes and clicks i need you and after that goodbye uh it's single serving society and on everything so that's that, that that's the elaboration i didn't invented it but i i, I love the term uh, i think it's very true and where do you get your inspiration from Ron? okay from a few people but actually the most of it is actually from uh, the books that i uh, that i read there's some phenomenal like one of my favorite books is a book called funky business which is blows your mind and that's was 10 years ago there is anything by robert green uh the 33 strategies of war for example which is the manual on uh, on strategy. When you read about Steve Jobs, now you can you can question the personality, but that guy was brilliant. So I get a lot of inspiration from the from the books. If you want friends that doesn't talk a lot but tells very 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 much, then you should read books. Yeah, yeah, and and then and then, and then uh, I admire Tibor quite uh, quite a lot. So uh, I have the pleasure of working with uh, a guy called Bernd Minches. He's somebody that, uh, so I, I also have the pleasure to actually work with a lot of people that I admire. So I'm, I'm a very lucky guy. People person. Um, I'm not quite sure if I'm a people person. I actually, uh, I can be incredibly, what's the word? Actually, 
preferably I don't like to talk at all and preferably I just like to sit in a chair in the sun over there and just uh, read and I prefer people not to talk to me okay but but if you get inspired by people I mean yes oh no completely yes it's, it's I'm sort of a uh, extrovert an introvert extrovert I think and where do you, does your curiosity go right now so climate the whole area of the impact of technology on society I I think AI and there's some really interesting literature around where AI is going to go or maybe not go. Uh, so the impact of technology, climate, and I have an inc- actually an Eastern philosophy. And there is, uh, I don't need, I'm sure you know Nassim Taleb. And he talks about something that's incredibly interesting, but he's called the Lindy effect. And the Lindy effect is that if something has been true for 10,000 years, it's probably going to be true for another 10,000 years. So a chair has looked like a chair for a long, long, long time. And it's highly unlikely that that shape is going to change for the next 10,000 years. So if you then look at Eastern philosophy, that type of philosophy and that type of thinking has been around for thousands and thousands of years. So there's a lot of wisdom in uh, Eastern uh, philosophy. And I think we ignoring that as at our peril. Like, would you trust Chinese medicine that's been around for thousands and thousands of years or Western medicine that's been around for about a hundred years? And I think we're missing a trick on all the old wisdom that is currently now being nearly ignored because it doesn't fit in our scientific framework. Yeah, I think it doesn't fit our economical model. It's, see, GDP is a is a is a is a misnomer because you know GDP in in the United States went up when um, Corina arrived because it actually destroyed. So we had to re- destroy the whole city and we had to be rebuilt. And that actually had a positive effect on the GDP. Bhutan has the happiness index and our drive by uh, economics factors as the indication of how well we're doing is absolutely ridiculous. And there's some really interesting, I'm sure you have read about the donut economy and in the future, because we, we can't economically, so this growth model that we're all chasing is just not sustainable. There is nothing that can that can be always going up. No, so, but, but I think... I think the regenerative economy is going to be the next growth model. So it's going to be regeneration that's going to be growth model rather than this chasing of. But GDP, I mean, look at the state of our health system, look at the state of our education system, look at the state of our housing, look at the amount of people that are under stress, look at our health. I mean, that's not economic success. Oh no, maybe, maybe money-wise, it's we're doing really well, but the rest. No, but we're paying paying for it, so it's it's always paying the price for something else. It's the same thing as, um, uh, I don't know if you know it, but um, intermittent fasting. The guy won won yes, of course, the Nobel Prize for it, but uh, and he proved scientifically why this is very healthy for you to let your body rest. Yes. However, it's very unknown, and it's unknown because who will sell cereals to us who will sell us lunches um that goes also for and, and this is but this is totally off topic of challenging the status quo but of government trying to protect us from a virus i mean i accept my mortality 
I can die from everything. If you want to save me as a person, remove all junk food, remove sugars, artificial sugars and sweeteners, remove smoking, remove all unhealthy products that are actually um, being offered to us uh, and implement uh, a stoic philosophy from first grade of any kind of school. But, but, you, see, but, but you know, because you work with entrepreneurs and, and, and I work with them, when we look at revenue models, we're always looking for repeating revenue models. So the health industry has developed a second fantastic uh, repeating revenue model where we get them sick first and, and then we don't, we don't cure the disease. We give them a pill or something that will just maintain where they are at that uh, level. Status quo. Cool. And we will do that for 40 years. Fantastic. This Corona thing, because uh, all the scientists, you know what, Corona is very likely to, to stay. So we, they have a repeating business model now the farming industry, where every year we will be forced to inject ourselves with the next vaccine. Well, I don't know about you, but I definitely won't. Well, see, I have to travel quite a lot. And it's a and it's an interesting question. So this whole idea, and, and we are compl going completely off topic, but this idea of a vaccine passport, I, I, I find that uh, incredibly disturbing. But uh, if I'm pragmatic, then uh, fuck it, take the, uh, take the vaccination and start traveling. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Uh, and I travel a lot too. But on the other side, why would I inject myself if I'm healthy? I will rather do a test. Couldn't agree with you more. And, so, and then uh, unlimited by any knowledge, particularly when you start talking, messing with genetics and RNA, you really need to... <laughs> You need to question that a little bit before you start putting all kinds of stuff in your body. Okay, now comes a comes a very hard one for you. Um, so it's a question within a question. If I would give you the possibility to dine with three people, alive or dead, or the opportunity to live in three time periods of choice, which one would it be and why? Oh, and I can't have them both. You can have them both. You can have them. I'm, so, I'm so, that kind. I, I, I'm so that kind. There is a there's a there's a uh, there's a book called Mind Store, and it's a guy by a guy called Jack Black, and it's a really interesting. And it's about the way you can program your uh, your mind. So uh, he he tells you to build a house in your brain, or somewhere in the quantum space, uh, and in that uh, is a you walk through the door. You have your guiding principles are hanging on the wall, and you have a cinema where you project your vision and there's a room next door to it where you have your advisors, which you can ask questions. And in that room, I have Barack Obama, uh, J.R. Tolkien, I have Ken Robinson, and I have Elon Musk. Those would be the guys that I would love to have a meal with. And I ask them questions and that then comes back when you wake up in the morning or somewhere during, uh, but it will always uh, come back. And the time period that I would love to live in is I, when I was young, I was always interested in the Incas, the Aztecs and the um, Egypt. So if I would go, I would like to go back to the, uh, the time of the Aztecs and the time of the Pharaohs and maybe the Roman empire. And then the last one, maybe, uh, China, 2,000, 3,000 years before Christ. And I, I think that you will find is that those, um, we have, when we say civilization, we are incredibly arrogant when we compare ourselves to the Chinese, the Egyptians, 
the Mexicans. Uh, we have, a, I, I think we should really re-examine how we look at ourselves. So I would love to be a part of those. I would love to see how those civilizations work. I agree with you totally. I think we don't have a clue how advanced they were compared to us. No. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think uh, those are both both and nice people to dine with and um, periods of time. And now uh, the because we have come to the end of the podcast. Okay. Um, <laughs> and when you yeah yeah drums please. I would like to ask you to summarize your experience, everything you know, and share your key takeaway of lion entrepreneurship with our audience. So, what is your key takeaway for our audience? Always follow your heart. And it's as simple as that. I think the complex issues are always solved in a simple and, way. Okay, no, and, and, uh, and it's funny that I will show up, but uh, the, okay. We tried to do, you remember the, in, in Holland, you had this MBA in a day with, uh, with Tichelaar, fucking awesome stuff. So we, we tried to do the same uh, in, in Ireland. So I started to read all the books of business And you know what we and actually the conclusion come that if you actually read Drucker, his first book on the, the science of management, everything else after that is a re it's actually it's rehashed, uh, but it's everything is the, the principles of business are incredibly simple. And everything is just a reinvention of the of an old team like uh blue ocean strategy honestly that is product market combinations in a different uh, and it's just full of bullshit and there's loads of books that are full of bullshit so if you then look at uh, mind body meditation it always comes down to the heart and there's science to it because the, 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 the heart has a brain which is as, as sophisticated as the brain here your gut has a brain so it's either you listen to your heart or, to, or your gut but don't listen to your brain Absolutely. Completely. Oh. Yeah, but 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 what is interesting is that uh, business and Eastern philosophy are starting to mix. That's the so if you the diamond cutter, which is about business, is about karma management. So more and more enlightened leadership or, or serving leadership or quantum leadership. So we're starting to mix some of the principles from the heart with the, uh, the world of, uh, of business. And that's only something of the last 10 years that's happening. And, and that's going to come more and more to the, to the fore, I think. I think servant leadership is the only way and actually expo not exploiting, but um, giving somebody the possibility to really use their talents, which they've got, instead of putting them into the frame and forcing them to do stuff they don't like and having all these negative effects on it. Anyhow, uh, I think we can go for hours. <laughs> It's been a pleasure, yes. What time is it? 
<laughs> Ron, it was awesome. Uh, thank you very much for sharing your story. And uh, I hope the, better, uh, the, the weather in Spain improves so you can really enjoy that sun there. And uh, I would say stay safe and healthy. And uh, okay. maybe we'll meet in person. Okay, you too. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Thank you very much for listening, dear ladies and gentlemen. That was Ron Imink. Next week, our guest and challenger of the status quo is Anna Marche Aud, behavioral expert, trainer, advisor, and owner at the behavioral company. And here's a short part of our conversation. Of course, it was in Dutch because I'm, I'm based in Amsterdam and first my clients were all in, um, it was in, in the Netherlands. And the tagline was, this might be a bit controversial, but when you literally translate it, it is, we kick you up the you know, but, so to say. Um, and everybody around me said, you can't use that as a tagline, that is way too intense, and you will you will not get clients if you use that. It's, well, long story short, um, I listened to a lot of people, I always tried to learn from it, but there was nobody who said you should use that line and still I are you curious about the rest of Anne's story and why behavior is key to leadership and successful teams join us next week for now this was challenging the status quo podcast season two with your host Amir Sabirovic stay safe and healthy and until next week ciao